Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and a trust that you have been tuning in every week as we started a series four weeks ago on the seven I am's of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, John writes in his Gospel, and there are seven times that Jesus says, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the shepherd, etc. When he does that, he is doing that in contrast to saying, in other words, if I am the light of the world, then that's not. If I am the true bread, then he's saying in contrast, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from heaven. That's not the bread. I'm the bread. So we're going to continue that series today. And this time uh, we're going to talk about I am the light of the world. We're going to take a text here in a moment from John chapter 8 because that's where he mentions it and see the context of what he's saying. Before I do, though, let me encourage you that if you've missed any of these programs and you would like to go back and uh, see, well, what did he say about I am the bread of life or, or what did these other programs, uh, we want you to know that everything we have aired to date is archived on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. And you can go back there and watch them at your leisure anytime you want to on demand. And uh, we also have a iTunes podcast and we also have an RSS feed for the audio portions of these programs so that if you're in your car, you're headed to work, you want to redeem the time, you can certainly uh, grab the audio portions of that and stream it to your automobile and go back and even listen, pause, take notes, or, or however you'd like to do that. And those things are available. The easiest way to do any of this would be to go to our webpage at lenhouse.com and the address is on the screen. If you will go there, there is a direct link to our YouTube channel, to our podcast, and to the RSS feed, or Android, if you will, uh, feed. All you got to do is just tap on the icon. It'll take you directly there. You can sign up for any of those and subscribe to those pages, and it's absolutely free. Uh, so you can get the Word of God uh, many, many different ways. So please do that. Uh, we're going to get in the Word, though, this morning, and we're going to talk with you a little bit uh, out of John 8, and I'm just going to begin to read this. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. I want you to note, it's not so much they're trying to condemn this woman. They're really trying to find something to accuse Jesus. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto the woman, or and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. They which heard it being convicted 
by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am, see the context of this, I am, this is the second I am that Jesus uses. I am the light of the world. He that followed me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. And Jesus answered, said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came, and I know whither I go, but you cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. You judge after the flesh. I judge no man, and yet if I judge my judgment, it is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father have sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that beareth witness of myself, and the Father that sent me, he beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Whither is thy Father? And Jesus answered, You neither know me nor know my Father. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, No man laid hands on him, for this hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the from the beginning. I have many things to say to you, to say and to judge of you, but he that hath sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Now this is to me a very powerful piece of scripture. We're going to unpack it probably under the, over the next uh, couple of, uh, of uh, uh, programs. But this is the story of the woman caught in adultery. And when Jesus comes to this woman, they bring her to Jesus, and he is in the temple teaching in their temples. And uh, as he sat down and taught them in the temple, the Pharisees and the scribes brought to him a woman taken in adultery, supposedly in the very act. Of course, my, my question is, if she's caught in the very act, where is the man she was caught with? Secondly, I think it's kind of ironic that uh, all of these religious dudes and these Pharisees must have known her address because they were all knew where to catch her in the act. Now the first thing I want to draw to your attention is they are not interested in helping this woman. They are interested in accusing Jesus and finding fault with him. They are interested in making him look bad. And it's in this context that Jesus begins to respond uh, to this woman, because I think one of the things he's doing is showing us uh, the difference again between how he would deal with something 
under an old covenant paradigm, and he's showing them what would take place, I believe, in a new covenant. Because as he begins to uh, really uh, bring, just, just to jump way ahead when he says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. It is immediately upon the heels of him saying, neither do I condemn thee, that he says, I am the light of the world. And so it's in the midst of this that part, I believe, partially what I want to share with you is part of the revelation that he wants to give of, I am, uh, you know, I am the light of the world here, is that he's saying to them uh, right in that context, I am the light of the world. He that followed me shall not walk in darkness, shall have the light of life. What he's saying is part of the light of what I'm about to release is, I've not come to condemn you. Now, what I was putting this in my notes, what I did is, again, I begin to contrast this, because John chapter 5 and verse number 45, uh, John again writing in his, let me just go over here and see if I can grab that for you really quickly on my iPad here. John 5 and about verse number, let's see, probably 45, 44 to 45. Uh, hallelujah. He, well, I'll just begin in verse 43. says, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will you receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that comes from God only? Do not think, here's the verse that I'm after, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me, but ye believe not his writings. How shall you believe my words? Now, what I told you from the very outset of this whole uh, teaching is, when he begins to say, I am he is saying it always in contrast to what is not. In other words, when he says, I am the bread of life in the first four segments we filmed on this, uh, he takes them out into a wilderness place and feeds the 5,000, sets them down in a setting very similar to the wilderness journey and says to them right there in the middle of the wilderness, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead but I am the true bread that came down from heaven, that if a man will eat of this, he will live. Now let me say to you that what he was saying is, you thought that was the bread, but that's not the bread. That's not the staple of life. That was the type. That was the shadow. But I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Now when he starts into this series, when he's talking to this woman caught in adultery in the very act, is he saying, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. I am the light of the world. And when you contrast that with John 5, 45, he said, there is one that accuses you, even Moses, whom you trust. But I do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Now that to me is a powerful, powerful statement. What he's contrasting this is, he's saying, you thought Moses was the light, but that's not the light. I'm the light of the world. Moses condemned you. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to bring you release from the thing that's destroying your life. And you know, as I begin to look at this whole story of Jesus, as he is, uh, they brought this woman to him, taken in adultery. She's caught in the very act, according to this scripture. Now, 
you know, once again, my question is, if she's caught in the very act, why are they just stoning this woman and not the man as well? Or where is the guy she was caught with? And, uh, you know, if we have time, we may go into some of the reasons why I believe uh, that, uh, that she was not caught in the very act. But in, in, at the very least, they're bringing her with accusation because that's what religion does. The old covenant will always bring your sin to the surface rather than bring you to Jesus for the remedy for your sin. You know, once again, you know, I believe that what really the gospel is about, you know, really Jesus came not just to be a judge to us, but to be a savior to us. And that saving grace of Jesus Christ is not just when you die somewhere and you stand before God, but it is a grace that gives you the power to live this abundant life right now. So when they brought to Jesus this woman taken in adultery in the very act, uh, they stand to Je- stand before Jesus and they said, Now Moses in the law commanded that she should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, tempting him, and that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now let me just tell you that his first response to this accusation and condemnation is that he stoops down, and with his finger he begins to write in the sand. Now there's a lot of stuff that could be said here. He wrote as though he heard them not. But a lot of stuff could be said here. You know, one of the things that could be said was that there was a ritual in the Old Testament. Let me just uh, pull up my notes on this. But there was a uh, a ritual in the Old Testament where uh, that if a husband thought that his wife was being unfaithful to him, they would bring her into what they considered to be the waters of jealousy, and uh, they would... uh, they would, they would, they would take the, they would take some uh, sand from the floor. Of the, they would literally take dust from the floor of the tabernacle, and uh, they would begin to mix that with water. And then they would write on a parchment, and then they would pour this water into some kind of a cup. And when they would pour it into this cup, they would give this woman to drink of this water of jealousy. And if she, in fact, had was guilty of adultery, and uh, uh, they, 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 that she wasn't caught in the act, if she drank this concoction that the priest would give to her, then they would, and they would also have to write on this parchment, but they would have to write the name of God on this parchment, because that's the only way you could bring an oath or a curse on anybody under the old covenant was to bring it. Now, all of those elements are here in this tabernacle, uh, of, because he's in the temple, he stoops down and writes in the sand. He, 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 of course, himself is the water of life. So all the elements that if you wanted that you could bring accusation against this woman is here. But I want you to see something. This woman's husband is not here, and she's not accusing 
He's not accusing her because he's evidently not in this crowd bringing her before the high priest. But I submit this to you, that this to me is a picture of Jesus Christ who is our true husband, but he's really not jealous, so he's not really going to give her this water of jealousy. But one of the things that I want you to see that I believe is happening here is that what he's really doing, in my opinion, is that when he stoops down, what he does, let me say it like this, his response to your failure is that Jesus stoops down. And with his finger, he begins to write in the sand. Let me go back to my, my text here. And he begins to write in the sand of her. And as I begin to think about this, let me just unpack several things. First of all, he, he stooped down. He lowers himself. What we don't realize is that Jesus, in his redemptive work, lowered himself and identified with our humanity. He identifies with my human failure and my human weakness. And he begins to identify with all of my weaknesses. You know, one of the things that really speak to me strongly is that, you know, the Hebrews, the fourth chapter, I probably share this quite a bit, but in the fourth chapter of Hebrews, the Bible said, for the Word of God is quick, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder between soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature which is not naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And uh, so uh, what I began to see was that, see, it's not just any word that is quick and powerful. See, the word quick there is an old King James word that means it's life-giving. But it's not just any word that's life-giving. I've been to a lot of places where there's a lot of preaching supposedly from the word, but it wasn't life-giving. It was mutilating, it was brutal, it was full of condemnation, it was full of guilt, it was almost abusive. But the context of this sharp two-edged sword is that the verse above it says labor to enter into his rest. So the whole context here in Hebrews 4 is that the word that flows from rest, the word that flows from the finished work is life-giving. It's powerful. It's sharp. It, it divides asunder between soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. Now, what I began to see was that, you know, when I first started preaching grace many, many years ago, and I started seeing people responding to grace in a negative way, much like some are today, where they're trading one set of bondage like religion for the bondage of substance abuse or some other bondage. And they're saying, I'm free, I'm free, but all you've done is trade your bondage. But whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But what I begin to see is the Lord, I begin to get concerned about, you know, people uh, doing things that I thought, man, I started seeing stuff surface in people's lives that I didn't really realize was there. Even in ministry lives, I saw people beginning to wreck their lives and ending up shipwrecked. And I thought, God, is this word that I'm preaching from grace creating this kind of an environment? Maybe, maybe I need to just maybe preach a little law to try to get people to behave a little bit. Because see, law can change your behavior, but grace will change your heart. Law will conform you, but grace will transform you. 
And so we've got a lot of people who seem to be changed on the surface who've conformed but haven't been transformed. And see, Paul wrote, writes in Romans 12, Be not conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so while law can change your behavior, it doesn't change the heart. And so what I began to see was that when you begin to preach the word that flows from rest and that we're free from the law and that Jesus finished the work and that we can enter into his rest and and again that doesn't mean you become a spiritual couch potato it simply means you're trusting him to do the work rather than trusting your own abilities but in that climate of freedom stuff began to surface and God said to me son keep preaching what you're preaching because the word that flows from rest is life-giving, but it's also a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. He said to me, when you preach the word that flows from rest, it will reveal what's in people's hearts. And, 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 and so I started seeing that there was stuff in people's hearts that we didn't know was there, including myself. But see, what he says in Hebrews 4 next is that, in other words, you don't need to act on it once you see that there's something in your heart that needs to be changed. What you need to do then in Hebrews 4 is once the word that flows from rest reveals your heart is that you need to come boldly to a throne of, of grace, not a throne of judgment. See, he's saying, neither do I condemn thee. Not to a throne of judgment, but to a throne of grace where you will obtain mercy and you will find a grace that helps in the time of trouble. And so he, what happened, and then you also, in Hebrews 4, it says, there you will find a faithful high priest who has been touched with the feelings of your infirmity and was tempted in all measures like as we are, yet without sin, and so that he is able to succor them who are tempted. So Jesus not only brings us to this place of revealing what's in our hearts, but then bringing us to the supply of grace and to a faithful high priest who is able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmity and to secure us in the times of trouble. So the very first thing he does is he stoops down. He lowers himself and becomes what I am so I can become what he is. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men can become the sons of God. And so when he not only stoops down and lowers himself, but with his finger he begins to write on the ground, all of a sudden I begin to shift away from the thought of perhaps he's doing something under, under the law to perhaps the sand speaks of our human existence. We were made and formed from the dust of the ground. And so when you realize that we were made from the dust of the ground, maybe what Jesus is doing here is he stooped down and with his finger he begins to write in the sand of our human existence. Because here's what he does in the New Covenant. I sometimes think, well, maybe he wrote, you know, people say, well, he wrote uh, the names of all of those who had been to her house before, or he, you know, uh, may have wrote the secrets of their hearts. I think two things are happening here. To me, what this powerfully pictures, if, if he was going to write the name of God in the sand, he was going to put his signature there. He was going to sign his nature. So when he writes with his finger and the sand of the, of the human and the finger of the divine come together, 
what happens is, is that he imparts to us his nature, and he writes his law and his nature on our hearts, where he's not just going to give this woman a, a command and say, go and sin no more. He's going to write uh, in the sand of her human existence what will give her the ability not to do it any longer. And he writes in the sand as though he heard them not the finger of the divine and the human have come together. And the human and the divine is what brings forth a new creature or a new creation. So as he begins to write his law in our hearts, as he begins to write his law in us, then what we do from that point on is not because of condemnation or guilt, but because of divine impartation of him who's able to put within us what we could not do for ourselves. And so it says that he wrote on the ground, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself. Now the next thing he does is he lifted up himself. Now the thought that hit me again was this is all powerfully redemptive language. Jesus said in another place in John's Gospel, and I... If I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. I believe what he's saying here is when I'm lifted up, this woman's not going to get off the hook. She's going to get everything she deserves when I'm crucified because I'm not just going to be crucified for, uh, as myself, but I'm going to draw all men unto me so that the death of Jesus was not just the death of one man. It was the death of all men. And Jesus did not die so you don't have to. He died because you had to. He didn't die to give you a life. He get, died to give you a death, a death to who you were in Adam. He got back up from the dead to give you a life and to give you the power of resurrection. But one of the pieces that's missing from many in the understanding of grace is, listen, you were crucified with Christ and you need to apply an appropriate and realize, listen, his death was my death. And so uh, he, he lifted up himself so that he's not circumventing what the law is demanding. He literally was lifted up from uh, the earth that he literally, I believe, was saying what was going to happen in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he goes on, he lifted up himself, and, uh, uh, he, and he, that he said, first of all, that he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he stooped down, rode in the ground, they began to leave, and people started dropping the rocks and went out one by one. And it says in verse number 9, And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus lifted up himself, saw none but the woman. He said, Woman, where are those thine accusers? And she said, I don't have any, Lord. He said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now let me tell you what's happening here is that this woman is standing in the midst. But if she's standing in the midst, and all of these people have left, She's not just standing in the midst of just anything. She's standing in the midst of Jesus Christ because he's all that's left. And so she says, if a, and, and so she says literally, uh, uh, she's standing in the midst of him. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The reason you and I can stand and say we're not walking in condemnation is because we're standing in the midst of him. It is in him that we live and we move and we have our being, and it is in that backdrop that Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. I am the light of the world, because the light that's coming into the world is a message that says, I'm not out to condemn you. 
that's good news today. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you life. We're out of time in this first segment. Let me just tell you that if you'd like to sow seed into this ministry to help us to keep this message on the air, please call the number on the screen. Go to our website. There's a place where you can give via credit card or debit card. You could also write the address that will come up on the screen. Give via check or money order or call the telephone number that will come up. Someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer, please leave a message if you'd like to have someone return your call. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.